going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Greetings and salutations, my friends. A happy Thursday or Leadership Forum Day, if you want to call it that. I want to start off the show first off by once again thanking Eau Claire Distillery in the town of uh, Turner Valley and the community of Black Diamond as well for hosting us for part two of our Rural Road Show yesterday. Had a ton of fun, a lot of great feedback from that show as well. Uh, Really looking forward to finishing things up next week in Airdrie. Uh, Again, it's, it's been a great Uh, eye-opener, I think, for a lot of people to see what's happening in three different sizes of communities outside our city limits. With Nanton being around 2,000, 2,500, you had Turner Valley and Black Diamond, which are about 5,000 all told. Uh, And then you're going to have Airdrie, who's ballooned to, I had no idea until I looked at uh, a demographics report. It's over 60,000 people there already. I mean, it's the 10th largest city in this province. Seem to forget, like you tend to forget that this is big. It's a big, uh, community that's bigger than some of the uh, communities that I thought were much bigger, like Lloyd Minster, for example. I mean, it's getting up there in the. I know Lethbridge just went over a hundred thousand. Red Deer's over a hundred thousand. Man, oh man! So to be able to shed a little bit of a spotlight on them, talk about some of the issues there as well. Wanted to, as we head into tonight's debate, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of. Uh, something to think about. We're going to talk about this with Lori Williams in a second is uh, what to take away from tonight's leadership debate. My hope for Albertans is this. Keep an open mind. Listen to the leaders. Listen to what they say and how they say it. Ask yourselves, who sounds like a premier? Who acts like a premier? Who has a vision for Alberta? I know you're going to hate certain candidates, but don't discount any of the four. I do believe that actually all four of them, Jason Kenney, Rachel Notley, David Kahn, and Stephen Mandel, are capable of having an intelligent debate about all of the issues. Oil, jobs, healthcare, education, infrastructure, all of it. Don't just key on one. See who has a plan for all of them. I'll be far less impressed with those who are content on throwing mud at each other the whole time. You can hold your opponents to account on what they say. Absolutely. Full stop. You sure can. But give me a reason to vote for you. I don't want to hear about why I should not should not be voting for others. That's my hope. I know I'm glass half full guy. I'm a little too... <laughs> Danielle Smith gives me this line every so often. You're just too fun sometimes. You're just too lighthearted sometimes. I haven't been jaded enough, I guess, might be the, the key... I'd like to think that we as Albertans should be looking forward. I know there's been a lot of talk about looking back and what people have said and that kind of thing. There's a time and place for it, 100%. But tonight, I hope we can focus on some of the issues. We're going to start things off, though, giving you a little bit of preview. MRU's Lori Williams joins us next to talk not only about the election debate, but also... All candidates forums. I posted the question on Twitter, at Calgary Today... Should you put any stock into them? Some candidates are saying, I'm not going. I refuse to go. And they faced some backlash, but we'll get into that next with Lori here on Calgary Today. All right, let's look ahead. I know a lot of people are looking forward to seeing what the four candidates or the four uh, potential premiers have to say heading into tonight. One of those people who will be keeping a close eye on things is MRU's Lori Williams. Uh, Lori, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. My pleasure. 
Let's talk a little bit about, uh, first off, the the leaders debate tonight. Mm-hmm. What are you expecting? And, and let's maybe touch on all four of the leaders. What do they really need to do to gain the appeal of the electorate? I think the, the task is probably similar for all four, although um, Rachel Notley is a bit better known to Alberta voters. I think the job of all four leaders is to sort of uh, present themselves in such a way that 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 voters that that Albertans have a sense of who they are, um, what they stand for, what kind of people they are. So they're going to want to go beyond the the official policy announcement announcements, the advertisements, um, the online information, and so forth. All the stuff that's planned and scripted, and and actually in interaction with one another, give Albertans a sense of who they are and what they stand for. How important is that interaction? Action between each other to make sure that it's not condescending in either way because I know that was a big deal in 2015 was mm-hmm. you know the math is hard comments the those kinds of things that made it feel like there were some talking down happening right and I think everybody's seen that debate more than once so everybody preparing for tonight knows uh, that Rachel Notley is a very capable speaker and debater and they're going to be very careful not to appear to be condescending um, to her they will all have to be tough, but be really careful not to sort of be so tough that that's all they're associated with. If they look like they're doing nothing but criticizing and complaining and they're not saying anything about what they would do for Alberta, um, what they have done uh, in their careers up until this point and what they can contribute in, as leaders and as members of the Legislative Assembly in the upcoming legislature. Do you think that there's a possibility for any of the leaders to come through as maybe being someone that is capable of calming the waters because of how divisive this campaign has been to this point? Uh, it may be that some that they try. I mean, obviously, each of the leaders is going to try to say both what is what they find um, objectionable about the other parties, their policies, their leadership, but also say something about what's good about their leadership and about their policies and their vision for the future. And that's the balance that all of them are going to have to strike. But someone who simply is nice, somebody who simply um, speaks about conciliation and doesn't show that they can be tough to fight for Alberta, for example, um, really won't won't sort of make a, a, the same kind of impression as somebody who shows both their capacity to work with others and their, their capacity to fight for Albertans. Has that been maybe the challenge for both Dave Kahn and Stephen Mandel in terms of they've been focused so much on policy and that they've almost been lost in the noise of the other two top combatants uh, going at each other? Well, it's been a really difficult climate to try to function in, um, and that's because really all of the oxygen is being sucked out of the, the, the political discussion by the NDP and the UCP and their leaders and their candidates. Uh, that's just simply dominated the news cycle, and it's been very difficult for anybody to get a word in edgewise. And part of that is because voters, for the most part, see two very different choices in the UCP and NDP, and... Um, and most people aren't neutral about one of those parties. And so let's say you're leaning um, toward Alberta Party policies or even Liberal Party policies, um, and you see that a vote for the Liberal or the Alberta Party might make it easier for a candidate uh, or leader that you don't like to get in, you're going to vote for the least bad candidate. You'll, mm-hmm. you'll say, let's say that you're 
let's say you're a, a Liberal Party candidate, um, UCP isn't probably very appealing to you. Um, rather than um, voting for the Liberal candidate in your riding, who you don't think is going to have a very good chance of winning the seat, you'll vote for the NDP to make sure the, the, uh, the UCP doesn't win in that riding. So that's the way folks are thinking, that that it's not it's not about a collection of a number of different candidates who represent things that you think are pretty good. It's um, preventing the worst alternative from from being elected. And if you're a former wild roser, you might even be looking at a Freedom Conservative Party or Alberta Advantage Party candidate. In other words, in a riding where where the vote a vote for another conservative won't risk mm-hmm. um, electing a use, uh, an NDP candidate, you might be willing to look at another candidate because you're you're starting to wonder about some of the, the controversies surrounding the UCP. When it comes to Jason Kenney, what's on the line for him tonight? Well, I mean, he's the front runner and he's going to be the target of all three leaders. So mm-hmm. he's got to, uh, I think his biggest challenge is going to to connect to Albertans. I mean, he's known for being um, quite a policy wonk and for being quite combative. Um, he's somehow got to convey, uh, I guess, a more human side of himself, um, something about his character that Albertans think that perhaps they can trust, or at least say enough about the policies of his party to make people willing to vote for them, even if they, for the policies, even if they don't like Jason Kenney. Because as we know from polls, and even from the UCP campaign, they're not focusing on Jason Kenney because they know he's not as likable as the party is. Mm -hmm. For Rachel Notley, what's on the line tonight? Well, she's got to defend her record. I mean, actually, they all do to some degree, but but Jason Kenney and Rachel Notley both have uh, long records and and controversial records to defend. So um, each of them is going to have to to fight um, to show that their their uh, record um, in a Rachel Otley's case, the record of what she's managed to do in a very difficult economic circumstance um, has been um, worth voting for again. And I think she's probably going to focus a lot of the attention on pipelines because pipelines do mean. Uh, getting oil to tidewater, they do mean higher oil prices, and she's actually got a pretty good record on on making progress with pipelines so far. When you look at the other two parties, uh, again, it might sound like I'm I'm re-asking a question almost, but how do you make any inroads and get any attention at you without you know coming out wearing something scandalous or that kind of thing to you know or saying something outrageous to be able to uh, to cut through the noise? Well, I don't think that they have as much to lose. Um, if they make a positive impression, they've got potentially seats that they could gain. And that's why it's going to be an interesting debate, because I think there will be a little more attention to Jason, paid to Jason Kenney, because he's the front runner, mm-hmm. than there will be to Rachel Notley. And so they'll be looking to try to peel votes away from, I think, Jason Kenney. Um, look, if you don't like this or that element of the party, and they know the points of vulnerability... They'll be going after him in the hopes that some folks will say, well, yeah, I, I like that leader. I like those policies. I like uh, what they stand for. Um, and I live in a riding where they've got a chance, so I think I'll vote for them.
Mm-hmm. I wanted to switch gears for just a second with you, Lori, here. And, and there's been a little bit made about uh, how some candidates aren't stepping up for all candidates' forums across the province. I've seen it in Medicine Hat. I've seen a couple of candidates here in Calgary that have been shirking that. Is there a legitimacy to the idea of, hey, they are only just for political supporters who show up? It's not The electorate's not really that interested in seeing these uh, people go combating because they're more interested in the leaders than they are in their actual candidates. Well, they may well be interested in the leaders and the policies, but uh, they're also interested in their local candidate. and They want to hear from their local candidate uh, as to how they will um, explain and defend the the policies and the proposals of uh, of their party. And I think many voters feel disrespected if they go out to a, a candidate's forum and one of the candidates doesn't show up as if they're taking that vote for granted or they don't want to risk losing votes by actually coming and speaking to the electorate. I think it looks bad and some people get very annoyed by that. Is that legitimate in today's day and age where you can get all your information uh, right in front of you? Right. And so I th- I think the the focus on door knocking is um, sometimes more popular because you, you're one-on-one with a voter who may or may not agree with your policies, and that's much more manageable when you're actually up against another candidate who has their own set of policies, who can defend and advance their party's position and, and critically assess yours. That's a much harder thing to defend. You're more likely to get caught, caught out, um, and they just want more control. And I think, I think voters see through that. And um, for, I mean, some people will support the party no matter whether their candidate shows up or not, mm-hmm. because it is for them, let's say, about the leader. But for people that are undecided, who people who genuinely want to ask questions and and to contest some of the um, uh, or ask questions about the policies that are being being proposed, or they want to speak about some of the controversies that have occurred, um, or they want to ask a question, let's say, of Rachel Notley about um, about the carbon tax in terms of how it affects their community, or something like mm-hmm. that. That's the sort of thing that voters ought to be able to ask. And candidates should have enough respect for them to to face them and to provide a response. But they they don't want um, they don't want the the sort of the lack of control that comes with going to one of these forums and being challenged by people who either have um, a lot of knowledge about their uh, their positions and they want to challenge them, or um, or the possibility that there might be people who come to the forum with the sole purpose of trying to to call down a particular candidate. Most forums and their moderators uh, prevent that from happening. They start out, I know we had one at Mount Royal last week that had two candidates that were running, one filling in for the Liberal candidate and the the UCP candidate, Doug Schweitzer, didn't come. Um, we didn't talk about that at the forum, and we started off saying that we wanted... Um, respectful uh, engagement with the the candidates mm-hmm. um and that was respected and and i think that you know that that should be the way things run in these meetings and many people that are undecided voters really do want an opportunity to go and speak ask questions and sort of press i mean you can read what's on the website but if you have questions you want to be able to ask that of somebody who knows their way around the platform mm-hmm. 
No, I, I I tend to agree. I, I like the forums only because it gives you a little bit of a snapshot. And, and frankly, I'm a big fan of seeing body language when they get not necessarily put into a corner, but when you're actually challenged on things, I, I kind of enjoy that. But that it's the political junk, junkie in me. So I don't think it's just political junkies, though. I think a lot of people go and they want to meet the candidates. They want to get a sense of them and they want that information, whether it be about the candidate uh, or about the policies of the party that that can help inform their decision. And, and they are frustrated when they don't they have the opportunity to, to meet the candidates and ask them about their, their policies. Mm-hmm. I agree. Lori, I appreciate the time this afternoon. Thank you so much. My pleasure. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. That is Lori Williams from MRU. And a couple of texts coming in now as we start to, again, a little bit of fun here. Uh, although it seems as though we've got a, a few people who are certainly anti-NDP, such as Rachel Notley, will be Queen's Another One Bites the Dust. Uh, there's another one saying, please, please, please let me get, oh, oh it moved on me. Uh, there we go. Please, please, please let me get what I want by the Smiths for Jason Kenny. <laughs> Oh, I love it. So many okay, good ones. Okay, hold on, oh, hold on. I, don't care, who, on I don't care who uses this. I want someone to use this one. Good build. Do you know what it is? As soon as I hear it. <laughs> Come on, you want someone to use this, don't you? I sure do. I think you could have a lot of fun with this. Text me 403-974-8255. What should the entrance music be for some of these, uh, for the the leaders heading into tonight's debate? This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Nice work, Patrick. It's a story that continues to rear its heads every so often, and that being secondary suites. And the city's planning and urban development committee yesterday clearing up an unintended consequence of seeing people get eviction notices while their secondary suites are brought up to meet the Alberta Building Code. For a little bit more on this, we bring in Councillor Giancarlo Carra. Uh, Councillor, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. My pleasure. How are you? Fantastic. Let's start off with yesterday's meeting. And what was that unintended consequence? And how did you guys manage to solve the problem? Well, I'm not sure it was an unintended consequence so much as it was still sort of like a malingering issue that had yet to be mopped up from our work on secondary suites. And and uh, I brought a notice of motion forward uh, about a year ago um, with the very melodramatic title of improving safety for thousands of Calgarians. It's not catching. It's not catchy enough. Sorry. (laughs) And, you know, and it is melodramatic, but it's also true. And uh, what it basically talked about is, well, we did all of this work with suites. Um, There was a huge number of semi-detached homes in Calgary that were built in the 1960s and the 1970s. And we've seen them all over the city, that the sort of the low sloped roof with the balconies and the big basement windows facing the street and the entrances on the side that were designed and built as fourplexes. And then in 1980, when we brought in the, the land use bylaw for in 1980, um, we basically downgraded them to semi-detached and we created a rule where everything prior, everything that had been built prior to 1970, the suites or the fourplex nature of those semi-detached homes uh, was grandfathered in as a non-conforming use, and everything that had been built after 1970 uh, was an illegal use, and so the suite was illegal. And I first became aware of this, like literally, it was like. 2001, I was the president, I was the chairman of the redevelopment committee in the community of Englewood, and we had one of these homes that had been built in the early 70s, um, 
the owner had purchased it as a fourplex. He had four residents, and the residents were very active in the community living in, in this place. And they had a dog across, like, next to them. A neighbor had a dog that would just sit outside and bark all day and all night. And they called bylaw on this dog after they couldn't get satisfaction working with the neighbor. And the neighbor retaliated by calling in the second the, the, the fourplex that they were living in. Right. And everyone realized to their horror that they weren't allowed to be there. And I wrote, you know, a passionate letter as the chairman of the redevelopment committee saying, you know, that's not cool. We can't, you know, turn affordable rental in our community with contributing members of our community. We can't turn them out onto the street and turn them into giant, you know, hard to rent giant units, and uh, we lost that battle, and we turned two of my neighbors out onto the street, and that became one of the straws that I started to sort of like, you know, put on my back uh, that eventually led me to run for city council. Now, when city council uh, approved suites, one of the early moves we made in the secondary suite debate, 2010-2011, was we allowed suites in all our designated properties with the exception of R1. Right. And we thought at that point in time that we had solved this problem. We learned that we didn't. Mm-hmm. And it malingered on. And finally, after we solved the sweet problem uh, last year or the year before, I realized that was one of the last pieces to mop up. And so I brought forward that melodramatic notice of motion. It came to committee with a path forward for legalization by December of this year. And it was unanimously supported by a committee, and I hope that it's unanimously supported by council as well. So when you look at the secondary suite debate, and this is something that's been going on now, it's hard to believe that 2010 was uh, sort of when it became really front and center for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I just go, wow, that was almost a decade ago. Uh, besides that point is, where are we at now? Are you pleased with where, where we've come from? And beyond that is, uh, what work still needs to be done? Well, you know, I, the only last piece of mop-up that you might do is you might turn the basement suite from a discretionary use requiring a development permit to a permitted use. Uh, but what we're seeing is a huge uptake in development permits and the building. I mean, what this is about is the fact that people are going to live in suites and thousands of Calgarians are already living in suites. And we want to make it so that if you are living in a suite, uh, you're safe. Mm-hmm. and we can bring that suite up to code. And if it's illegal for that suite to exist, we can't bring it up to code. We can evict you, and that's not right. And so right now, we're the, the age of evictions with this last move is over, and then it's just going to come down to a question of whether we want to remove unnecessary red tape now that we realize that the sky isn't falling and cats and dogs aren't living together and things are fine. <laughs> uh, I remember that, it, that that kind of debate real well, actually. It's, uh, it's funny how that, that conversation has developed, although on the same, in the same vein, it, this is almost a, a preeminent move that way in terms of we've had a tough go of it economically, and so the, de- uh, the demand isn't quite there. But I assume down the road, when things do pick up again, that'll kind of clear a lot of hurdles for a lot of those who will be looking for accommodations down the road. Look, our job is to build great neighborhoods. Our job is to keep people safe. Our job is not to, you know, get imbroglioed in weird fights that aren't really issues or to create excessive red tape. And, you know, I think now that we've put, we've broken the back of the secondary suite issue, things are fine. Uh, you know, there are a couple mop-up moves after this, potentially, but we're in good shape. And, and what we've done is working 
and there isn't a lot of blowback. Mm-hmm. Fantastic work. Uh, looking forward to seeing what uh, what you're able to do with those last couple pieces. Counselor, I do appreciate the time this afternoon. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Counselor Giancarlo Carra joining us uh, on a story Rolio Perry reported on yesterday. Uh, he says that the city's planning an urban com- uh, development committee clearing up uh, one piece of that puzzle when it comes to secondary suites, seeing people getting evic- uh, eviction notices while their secondary suites being brought up to meet the Alberta building code. According to the city, there were 27,000 semi-detached dwellings, fourplexes, side-by-sides, suites in the basement, and so there's, a, as the councillor alluded to, there's a little bit of history that was going on with the whole moving back and forth. And I wanted to bring him in to get a, a little bit more of the context behind the story, which I think is is really helpful for those. And, and again, I, I think looking back on it, it's funny how that debate raged on and there was a lot of my neighborhood is going to go to the, the wolves and everything's going to go. And I don't think I ever saw it. I could be wrong, and again, as somebody who lived in a secondary suite for uh, parts of my post-secondary life and a little bit of my uh, life here when I moved back to Calgary in, in, in 2010, I, it felt like we were kind of the blight of the community somehow because we were trying to find somewhere affordable to live. It, it, it felt bad, but at the, at the end of the day, I think the, the right decisions seemed to have been made, and uh, for the most part, a lot of people were really, really happy with how things uh, have come since 2010. All right, let's uh, turn the attention now to insolvencies. A new report showing year-to-date at an all-time high in 2019. No surprise thus far. Jordan Day is licensed insolvency trustee at BDO Canada. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. You're most welcome. What are you guys seeing out on the front lines? We are seeing uh, a lot of people who are hurting, a lot of Albertans who are suffering. um, While we often think about the financial crisis that happened about 10 years ago, um, the reality is that we're still, there's still lingering effects. Uh, Our uh, oil uh, business and other resource businesses in the province have been hit hard. And as a result, while people have been struggling and trying to uh, stay afloat, uh, it's it's getting to a tipping point. One of the things that I think has been underscored in all of the discussion over uh, oil prices and that as well is you've had the uh, other issue being uh, interest rates. Interest rates have been going up dramatically over the past uh, roughly year now. And where we've got people who are carrying balances on credit cards or perhaps they've got a home equity line of credit or their mortgages uh, a variable rate interest uh, mortgage. These small uh, incremental increases in uh, interest rates are having a dramatic effect. One of the things that I, I question quite regularly, and I'll pose this question to you, is in your travels, do you get the sense that when times were good, people over-index themselves? Or is this a matter of, hey, they were living within their means, they just happened to come across really bad times? I'm, you know, I'm seeing both. Joe, uh, I've got situations where, or people that I'm working with where, you know what, times were good, it was easy come, easy go. Uh, they, they readily grew into a, a significant debt load that at the time they were able to afford. Uh, and now with the economy being such as it is, they're no longer able to carry that debt. So I am seeing that. But on the other hand, uh, on the other end, I'm also seeing people who have really kind of been financially responsible 
but this, this culmination of um, a poor economy over an extended period of time, job losses, uh, uh, inability to find work in their field. Uh, journeyman uh, electricians, for example, I met with a fellow recently who's now working in a warehouse for $16.50 an hour, uh, really through no fault of his own. Mm-hmm. From that standpoint, then, what do you think is your biggest piece of advice that you've been giving to people over and over and over again as they've been walking through your office? Number one is if you can spend less money each month than what you're bringing in, you're going to be okay. Spend less money than what you bring in, and you'll be okay. If you are carrying a balance on your credit card, is there any way that you can possibly budget your way out of it such that you're no longer being hit by those high interest rates? And thirdly, and maybe lastly, is if you are overwhelmed, if there's, just, if there's too much debt, you're not able to deal with it, uh, through budgeting means, come and see a, a, a professional. Uh, get some advice. Don't be going and cashing in RSPs and uh, refinancing debt uh, without knowing what options are available. Jordan Day at uh, BDO Canada, licensed insolvency trustee, giving us a little bit of a spotlight into uh, what all he has seen on the front lines at his office. As again, insolvencies are at a year-to-date high in 2019, as many as 40 people a day claiming bankruptcy really puts it into perspective doesn't it certainly lots of questions about who the calgary flames will play come next week actually game one set for next thursday will it be the colorado avalanche quite possibly but regardless of who the opponent is There's always that question about, will the Red Mile make a triumphant return? And Calgary Police planning for it, whether it's on 17th Avenue or I know Electric Ave for some people who still remember. uh, Was that 11th or 10th? I think it was 11th, actually. If you remember, 403-974-8255. I'm drawing a blank. Anyways, Acting Inspector Claire Smart joining us now from Calgary Police Service. Thanks so much for the time today. Thanks so much for having me. Let's walk through, I, I guess, the, the bare basics of the CPS plan as we go forward into uh, a week from today. It'll be game one, in theory, for the Calgary Flames. I know, it's exciting. Um, mm. Well, for us, it's going to be business as usual. Um, we, this, we're not new to this. Uh, we have been involved in, in uh, playoff celebrations before. And so our team uh, here at the Calgary Police Service, uh, basically our major events and emergency management section, have been um, putting together that plan, which, again, is very flexible, right? Um, it's a, a scalable plan, and we work with uh, many of our um, uh, units within our service, whether it be areas like our traffic, our public safety unit, but also with our external public safety partners and community uh, stakeholders uh, to make sure it's that um, coordinated approach. Talk a little bit about that scalability aspect, and is it based on size? Is it based on maybe length, given that, you know, sometimes it can go to 4th Street on 17th Ave, and in other times it'll be right up to 14th Street or even beyond a little bit? Well, as you know, again, I, I can't predict what the crowds are going to be like, but again, um, it, it is going to be based on uh, what are the crowds, uh, what are the crowds like with the behaviors um, that we're seeing from our fans, as well as 
um, you know, how far uh, the Calgary Flames make it in the playoffs, which we hope is is right to the end and bringing home that Stanley Cup. Uh, so again, um, we're going to be taking all that into account, and, and a lot of it is gaining that intelligence. But right from the beginning, our strategy is more of a meet and greet. Uh, the, the police are going to be down there um, on 17th Avenue, uh, you know, enjoying the enjoying the festivities just like the fans and the citizens uh, were there to to support and make sure everybody's just safe. How much of the work is going in before the the puck is even dropped on game one? And I mean that in terms of, especially from a community perspective and a lot of businesses down there, uh, obviously there's construction issues that pop up uh, that are starting to pop up now around the city. So how much of it is, is trying to get ahead of the curve and get uh, the business owners and that uh, talking about what they might have to do uh, come next Thursday and beyond? So there's a lot of um, kind of pre-planning going on. It's been happening for weeks now. Um, I, I would even say even going, you know, back a few months now, knowing that this was probably going to happen uh, with the, the Flames doing so well in just the regular season. So again, with that, uh, we've, we work really closely with our partners. And I think because, again, this is not... Um, you know, our first our first playoff that we're able to um, kind of get ahead of the game. Now, we do have a business liaison officer um, that is assigned to work with all the businesses along 17th Avenue. And so far, he has already reached out to about 160 businesses along 17th um, and discussing just everything from uh, making sure that they, you know, they're supported, they're, they're we provide them with guidance and recommendations to, to the business owners so, you know, they can see how they can deal with, like, unwanted guests or any criminal behavior. We're never telling them what they have to do or, or making them change any of their, you know, protocols or anything. That is still up to them, but we're there as a, to help guide them. When, when it comes to those who want to take in the atmosphere, I, assuming again, with I know in past years, I remember uh, right after the 04 run, and then you go 06, 07, 08, 09. Those years, it was I remember quoting it as the dead mile more often than not. But it, for those who may end up uh, venturing out, especially if there's a win, what kinds of things would you say to them as they're heading towards 17th or wherever the uh, the crowd does happen to go? Well, the one thing is, um, this is a great celebration for, for the city right now. And so we want, uh, we want the Calgary Flames fans to enjoy this. So again, if they are coming down to 17th Avenue, again, there is a lot of responsibility still placed on them, right? To be safe, um, to also um, respect other people's property, uh, other people's rights. And, and so the thing is, you can still have a good time. Uh, with that, um, we are asking when people are coming down uh, to maybe 17th or to other areas, is that, um, you know, the applicable laws are still going to be um, in place. However, officers uh, will um, look at enforcement kind of through education, um, voluntary compliance by, um, by the citizens, as well as, I mean, they do have the discretion whether to write a ticket or not. But again, you know, when it comes to, let's say, alcohol, um, the fact that people aren't drinking and driving, that they're looking at taking transit down, ride shares, taxis. And so there's, there's a lot of opportunities and, and things that are being worked on so that people can get down there safe and can get home in a safe manner. Yeah, it's one of those things where uh, everybody is safe and happy, and then at the end of the day, they can all go home safe and happy too, right? Uh, I do appreciate the time today. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Acting Inspector Claire Smart with Calgary Police Service outlining some of the things and the fluidity, if that's even a word, surrounding the Red Mile plans. Will it be the Red Mile? Will it be a long Red Mile? Or will it be, I certainly remember 2006, 7, 8, 9, where it was the dead mile. Here's hoping that doesn't happen. A few months ago, I introduced you to a trio of young men who are looking to get into my line of work or at the very least kind of entertain the idea for a little bit. I mean, high school is such a fun time because the world is your oyster. And so uh, back a few years ago, I, I started up this idea and we started contemplating it and it's bloomed into this program that everybody seems to be uh, having a lot of fun with. And one of the students, uh, he's kind of the late bloomer out of the group, but that's okay. In terms of, uh, we finally got you here more than anything. Yeah. Uh, Jacob Gervich joining us uh, now. Jacob, thanks for coming in. Thanks, Joe. Great opportunity. Thanks for uh, letting me come down here. It's uh, met a lot of great people so far and it's been a great day. It has been uh, a lot of fun to bring you down and, and give you a little bit of an inside scoop to my other job because you guys have done uh, the tour with me at the Dome as I was hosting Hitman and now you get to see what I do talking politics and that kind of thing. You got right into the middle of things right off the bat but I want to start off talking about you yourself. Uh, give us a little bit of info on your on, on who you are as Jacob, your age, what school you go to, what grade and what your future aspirations are. Okay, so I'm Jacob Gervich. I go to West Mount Charter School. I'm a grade 12 student and uh yeah, just uh, I want to be a professional sports broadcaster. Uh, favorite sports being uh, to follow basketball and golf. Uh, yeah, they're just uh, great sports for me. I guess basketball, very live action. And uh like to follow the Toronto Raptors. My dad and I, uh, big Raptors fans, just like to follow the league in general, just the culture they have in the NBA and just a huge basketball fan. And then golf, I like to follow all the way from the PGA Tour, uh, the LPGA Tour, uh, European Tour, a lot of golf just in general and just... Uh, the whole golf kind of network with the official golf world rankings. I know it sounds kind of nerdy in terms of sports, but uh, just following it and, and having all the players and, and from the different nationalities, it's just a global game and it uh, really encapsulates my interest. How is it that a kid, and, and I always go back to the idea that here in Calgary and in Alberta, we're hockey first, football second, it seems, and here you are talking basketball and golf. How did you get involved in those two sports above the other two? That's a really good question. Uh, I think just basketball, it's such a, you know, for me, I like to, I, I like to stay busy and just basketball is such a, you know, fast paced sport and hockey is too, but there's so much at, uh, going on. There's, there's uh, two pointers and layups and dunks and all the stuff happening in the three point era. Just the people are shooting uh, from far and farther out. Steph Curry from, from way downtown and there's, there's shots coming from everywhere. And there's, it's just such an exciting sport. Uh, a lot of uh, really interesting teams in the NBA and just, I guess maybe it might be bad that there's all these super teams now in the NBA, but it's it's really cool the way just all these teams play and there's really good there's really good teams and there's you know not so good teams. Mm -hmm. So just being able to follow kind of one the the better teams and you know they make the playoffs so there's more coverage on TV. Just. All of the teams in general that yeah, I'm not really he's, quite he's sure. excited. I'm he's, just excited. I don't know. I think just the <laughs> the NBA in, in general. There's a lot of good teams uh, in a lot of big markets, and you just you get to know these big name players, right? So mm. these guys sign these huge contracts, like Russell uh, Russell Westbrook signing, you know, and James Harden forty million dollar plus contracts. Unreal. 
I wish insane. I made that kind of money. And they just dominate the game, right? Yeah. So you get used to these one guys, and they're this one guy who's on for 30-plus minutes, and you just get used to these personalities. Mm-hmm. And in terms of golf, it's just, you know, you you follow the, the top-notch players. You get to see them week on, week off. The commentators, you get familiar with them on CBS and NBC. But, uh, yeah, golf, just something that uh, sparks my interest. And, again, the golf kind of community all over the world, it's uh a lot of globalization going on. Absolutely. Let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, your experience here at the radio station. Anything t- uh, take you by surprise? Yeah, just uh, it's a big, really big team uh, effort and uh, a lot of really hardworking people to do something that's, uh, you know, just for people, just a lot of people's interests and, uh, you know, so much going on behind the scenes, just like anything, especially when we went to the Hitman game. There's so much mm-hmm. going on that you don't you don't take into account right. until you're actually there. Like, for example, at the Hitman game, I learned that there's, you know, we saw the mascot. There's a mascot spotter. So somebody yeah. that's actually with the mascot in case somebody does something to the mascot. Just so much involved, so many working parts. As you described, I remember your term, the well-oiled machine, mm-hmm. right? So and that's that's exactly this radio station, yeah. too. So uh, glad to have you around here. Thank you so much for uh, for following us around. Thanks for being a part of the program as well. Jacob Gervich is uh, a student of mine, and uh, he's getting the he's getting firsthand look at what's going, <laughs> uh, what's happening here uh, at the radio station. This is Calgary Today on seven seventy CHQR. Just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Calgary Today podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll chat with you soon.